let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Craft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Wednesday evening where we continue our reflections into the Lord's Prayer, the Gospel Prayer, huh? where we are going through this great prayer petition by petition. huh? And we are in that petition, uh, lead us not into temptation, that all-important petition of lead us not into temptation. And uh, we left off talking about freedom. So this is where I want to pick up. And if you have any questions out there, please do not hesitate to email me at j-h-o-l-l-j-m-j at yahoo.com, or you can go to my website at joeholcraft.org, spelled j-o-e-h-o-l-l-c-r-a-f-t.org. I always welcome your questions, your comments, your observations. And I also want to extend, extend a thank you for all of you tuning in by way of podcast in the countries of Brazil, Argentina, Chile, Canada, and Mexico, um, Portugal, Spain, France, Germany, Italy, England. Um, I see you listening on uh, the grid I receive, so um, I just want to welcome all of you and let you know that it is very humbling that you are taking 25 to 30 minutes out of your busy schedule to join me here in the friendly confines of uh, Chico, California. So I welcome you, and as I do, I welcome you into this reflection, really, that we are taking up on the Lord's Prayer. And again, we are in this petition, lead us not into temptation. We are working through uh, Scott Hahn's uh, work, Understanding Our Father, Biblical Reflections on the Lord's Prayer, as well as the section in the Catechism that talks about uh, the Lord's Prayer. Okay, so we were talking about freedom, huh? So why would God allow us to be free? Huh? The Catechism quotes the ancient scholar Origen in this regard when he says, God does not want to impose the good, but wants free beings. So essentially, my friends, God made man and woman to be free. That free choice is what made temptation possible. But it is also what made love possible, huh? For love cannot be coerced. Love requires a free movement of the will. It does not come from without, but from within. So with freedom, we have the potential of the most authentic expression of love, the highest love, sacrificial love, but also for the gravest peril, huh? So what's the use of temptation? Well, once again, in the words of origin, there is a certain usefulness to temptation. Temptation, when resisted, does what? It strengthens us, does it not? Indeed, God permits trials for this very reason. Because temptation makes us face the stark choice, for God or against God. This is a very Ignatian principle. You are either for God or against God. And when we make the decision for God, what happens? We grow stronger in faith, hope, and love. Contrary to popular belief, then, temptation 
is not to be seen as a sign of God's disfavor or punishment. Indeed, if you were to survey the Old Testament, all of God's favorites, if you will, they were led to be tempted by severe trials. Consider Abraham, who was asked to sacrifice his only son. Consider Joseph, who was beaten and sold into slavery by his own brothers. Consider Job, whose family and property perished in Satan's murderous rampage. Above all, should we not consider our Lord himself? For God did not spare even him from the most severe temptations. What do we read in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1? Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. It's interesting. The Greek verb for lead is different here from the verb in the Lord's Prayer, but the idea is more emphatic. You know, when Mark tells the same story, he says what? That the Spirit immediately drove Jesus out into the wilderness. The Greek verb translated as drove can be better translated as threw or was thrown. (laughs) So if Jesus himself was thrown into severe temptation, my dear friends, we should not complain that we are unloved by God when he leads us into temptation, huh? For like God's other beloved, we will shine more brightly when we, with God's help, have struggled, what? But successfully. My dear friends, the more we struggle in grace, the more our light shines. And the more our light shines, the more people will be drawn to the light of Jesus Christ. You have heard me say it before. The greater the darkness, the brighter our light shines. Let us remember that truth. How about that great passage that comes to us from the book of Wisdom, chapter 3, verses 5 to 7? God tested them and found them worthy of himself. Like gold in the furnace, he tried them, and like a sacrificial burnt offering, he accepted them. In the time of their visitation, they will shine forth. Temptation, then, is something useful in God's providence because of God's grace. So trials are useful, but still, that does not mean we should seek them out, huh? In fact, we should avoid them as much as we can. Note that our Lord did not teach us to pray, lead us into temptation, huh? For that would surely be presumptuous of our own power, we could say, and and endurance. Adam learned the hard way that on our own, we do not have the strength to overcome temptation. Those who think they can prevail are usually in forefall like that of Adam. Now, this leads to another question. For who among us is better prepared than the apostles themselves? I mean, they enjoyed what? A privileged schooling at the feet of the master himself. They received the Eucharist from our Lord's own hand. Moreover, on that very night, that fateful night, just hours after their first communion, our Lord warned them in no uncertain terms twice that they were about to face their most fearsome temptation. Yet, like Adam, they failed because they feared. They fled their master's side. Will our faith stand better under fire? My dear friends, 
This is about the struggle in grace and the invocation of Abba, Father. This is what is fundamentally new and fundamentally different about the New Covenant and the New Testament, that he has given us the grace that is necessary to overcome these temptations, and a grace that operates within the soul in such a way that it activates trust. And so we build up this trust in our personal relationship with Jesus Christ, in our conversation with God. The deeper we go in our friendship with Christ, the deeper our trust will grow. And as it grows, it gives us the confident assurance that we will be able to overcome the most fearsome trial. So for all of that, as it relates to the apostles, this is why Jesus urged the apostles to pray that you may not enter into temptation, right? Temptations may be inevitable, but a realistic Christian knows he's not ready for them. You know, Scott Hahn highlights a kind of inner logic to the Our Father. Listen to what he says. To the extent that we don't advance the kingdom of God, to the extent that we don't do God's will, to the extent that we don't worthily and gratefully receive our daily bread, to the extent that we don't seek forgiveness, to the extent that we don't forgive, is to that same extent we will be vulnerable to temptation. My dear friends, trial is necessary, but if we enter trial with unforgiven sin or with an unforgiving spirit, we will be unprepared. We'll lose. What is it that causes a difficulty to become a temptation? It is our own inability to bear it because we have failed to live out all of the petitions of the Lord's Prayer. Huh? So, it's fair for us to ask, after all, why God leads us to face such severe trials. If he wants to know the strength of our faith, he doesn't need to test us to measure it, huh? He knows everything. I mean, he knows how weak we are. So temptations in of themselves don't uncover anything for God. He doesn't learn anything new through the process of our trials. However, we, on the other hand, have much to learn about ourselves, especially in the area of our most besetting sins, especially in the area of those sins which we are most attached to. Oh, my dear friends, could it not be said that we are only too willing to overlook our own faults, weaknesses, and habits of sin? Pride and vanity blind us to all but our virtues and earthly accomplishments, feeble as they are, huh? <laughs> but our trials often turn out to be our most teachable moments. They are the times when we most keenly sense our weakness and need. In point of fact, it could be said that we usually discover our deepest need through our weakness. If we don't feel pain acutely, we don't have a sense to cry out for a doctor. Until we feel hunger intensely, we probably won't go begging for food. You see, our times of trial 
are the times when we know our inadequacy and we're most likely to call upon our Father God. What is true of the material world acts as a kind of prism into the supernatural world. We can use images, allegories, and parables because they offer up a kind of prism into the supernatural life. And this is what we are talking about here. Now, Scott Hahn highlights something here. In going through 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 to 16, he highlights what can be called a kind of four-step process to how temptation works to a Christian advantage. So let us consider Paul's words here. Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. So what's going on in this opening verse? Paul begins by pointing out our weakness and our need for humility. <clears throat> Recall St. Peter's words, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. He thought he was strong, but within a few hours, Peter would commit the most cowardly denial of his master. Not once, not twice, but three times. He thought he would stand tall, and instead he fell hard. We could say he would have been better off praying that God spare him the temptation. So the first link in the chain to understanding how temptation works to a Christian advantage is to understand our need for humility. Second, we read, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. So Paul says this not to minimize our pain, but to give us comfort, huh? We should take heart because others have faced our trials and worse to some degree, and they have persevered, huh? I mean, the history of God's dealings with the saints is full of good, practical examples we can follow in prayer, in patience, and in acting courageously, huh? So, the second principle, out from recognizing our need for humility, is that in prayer, we follow the saints' lead. That, yes, we can do this. <laughs> acting patiently, and courageously, we can do this in His grace. Third, what does Paul say? God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your strength, but with the temptation will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. I mean, this promise should give us great hope for nobody, nobody, my friends, can make it through life's common temptations, at least not without God's help, huh? <laughs> I mean, this is what we're highlighting. But the good news that Paul tells us here is that God will never abandon us, and He is greater than any power that afflicts us. Even if Satan himself should attack us, we will prevail if we remain faithful St. Cyprian, a church father, once said, most strikingly, the adversary can do nothing against us unless God has previously permitted it. My dear friends, God knows the limits of our strength, and He is always willing to share His own omnipotence 
so that we can endure even the most severe trials without sinning. So, our third principle is quite simple. (laughs) God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is sufficient. So we have our need for humility. We have our need to pray on bended knee, following the saints' lead in their patience and courage. And we do so in His grace, mindful that it is sufficient to overcome the trial. Now, as it relates to this last key that unlocks the mystery into how to overcome these temptations and how we need to allow these temptations to make us stronger, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, shun the worship of idols, the cup of blessing which we bless. Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ, the bread which we break? Is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Ah, (laughs) There it is, my friends, our way of escape. And it is nothing less than our daily bread. Paul demonstrates for us that the Eucharist is our help and our hope because it is our communion with the flesh and blood of the God-man. Through this sacrament, we grow strong with, we can say, a God-like strength, huh? (laughs) A God-like strength. And what are the idols we must shun? Well, what have we said before? Idols are the things we think will get us through the trials, though they never can, right? They're the things of the world, sometimes very good things that we've come to place before God in our lives. Idols make temptations necessary for us, for temptations serve to wean us from our dependence on anything less than God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, nothing less than God can really save us. What's the opposite of idolatry? But Eucharistic dependence, our holy need for all of God. So the temptations we face are meant to humble us, strengthen our life of prayer, that we might live with greater patience, greater courage, leaning into God's grace, and above all, above all, bring us back to the Eucharist. And amen to that. And and should it not, my friends? I mean, think about what we have been talking about. The first principle was all about humility. And does not the Eucharist ground us in humility? The second principle was about prayer and following the saints lead. Is not the Eucharist the source and summit of prayer? And have not all the saints had a devotion to the Eucharist? And how about that third principle? That grace is sufficient to overcome the temptation, right? What does the Eucharist literally mean? Yes, thanksgiving. But if you go into the Greek root, it literally translates graceful, full of grace, huh? full of grace. And so, in many ways, we can say the Eucharist takes principles one, two, and three and brings them together. And this is what the Eucharist does. This, again, is why it is the source and summit of our faith. All right, I'm looking up at the clock, and we are um, out of time. I just want to encourage all of you listeners out there to continue to pray the Lord's Prayer with a deeper sense of what you are praying 
in both mind and heart. Call upon God for the grace to pray better those words, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And with more insight, we might now also pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We ought to start praying this prayer with renewed conviction. And something else, we also ought to be mindful of St. Paul's words. It is no longer I living, but Christ who lives within me. All of these petitions that we have been talking about in so many ways is about inviting Christ into our very life to the point where we can say with Paul, it is no longer I living, but Christ who is living within me. This is what prayer is all about. And this certainly, certainly is what the whole Christian life is all about. All right, with that, let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Good and gracious God, we do just give you a special thanks and praise for the gift of this evening, for the opportunity to come together wherever we may be to listen to your word and to reflect into your word, most especially your word as it comes to us in the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord's Prayer that we might gain insight into better understanding not only how to pray your word, but how to live your word, that we might be more vibrant Christians and drawing others to you. Amen. And we turn to our mother who you gave us on the cross. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.